Welcome to Photo Taco, the only show with photography tips you can learn in the time it takes to eat a taco. Or perhaps a burrito. Photo Taco! Hey everybody, welcome in to another episode of Photo Taco. I'm your host, Jeff Harmon. Thanks so much for spending a few minutes of your day with me. I really appreciate it. In today's episode, I'm going to update you on Lightroom Classic CC 7.1, and then I'm going to talk about composite portraits. I hope it doesn't go too long. I just have so much I want to get into this episode. All right, so I have so much. Let's just jump right into it. First thing I want to go over is Lightroom Classic CC. As most of you probably know already, Adobe shook things up quite a bit late in 2017, releasing the all-new Lightroom CC, which basically was bringing the very, very good mobile Lightroom app over to your computer. Other than the fact that it's a product I simply can't use due to the storage limitations that the product has right now and would require far more monthly fees than I personally can get value from, I'm not going to say anything more about the all new Lightroom CC. It's out there. You can go play with it if you want to. I just can't use it. I did a whole photo talk episode on the topic. It's called Is Lightroom CC Classic, where I go over the like Lightroom CC Classic release and the all new Lightroom CC and why it is I can't really use it. You can find that by typing photo space taco space Lightroom space classic into your browser. You'll be able to find it just searching that. It's a really good way to search and find any of the shows that we have on the Improved Photography Network. The, the podcast name followed by the subject and you can find stuff pretty easily. I'll also put a link into the show notes. But we're not going to talk about that much because what I want to focus on is a minor update that Adobe put out in December of 2017 for both Lightroom Classic CC and Lightroom CC 2015. So that one's still hanging on, I think, because of all the negative reaction that we all had with Lightroom Classic CC. So Lightroom CC 2015 has a little patch that's brought to version 2015.14, and then Lightroom Classic CC is now 7.1. So I won't spend any time on Lightroom CC 2015.14 either. It's rock solid. I've been using it for a while. Uh, in fact, I was really glad that the uh, the update, the minor update came out because my Tamron's 24 to 70 G2 lens now finally has a profile in Lightroom. It's kind of nice to be able to have that automatic kind of correction, helping to, to fix the vignette and the other things about the lenses. So it's good to have that in there. And I'm glad it's there. It's rock solid. It's the version, if classic doesn't work well for you, even through what I talk about today, if it doesn't work well for you, then I recommend you use Lightroom CC 2015.14. All right, now let's get to the meat of it. Lightroom Classic CC version 7.1. I can finally update my recommendation from late 2017 from a weight status. Now I definitely, and this, this was like the strongest weight status I've ever given on any kind of product update or OS update because I, it was really bad. Um, it was the first time ever that I have personally had to roll back to the previous version because I couldn't get anything done. I've worked with other releases where there were some bugs here and there, and I, it was not the most optimal thing. And and I, but I worked through it. I told others to wait. I've told not. I've clearly said wait before in other releases. But this was the first time that it was so bad I actually had to revert back. And uh, anyway. I'm glad to say I can update that status from wait to cautiously proceed, <laughs> which means uh, you got to be careful. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you what it is about that to be careful with. I spent about eight hours testing Lightroom Classic CC versus 7.1 versus the tried and true Lightroom CC 2015.14. 
and I saw enough good out of Classic to take the plunge, and I updated my catalog to Lightroom Classic CC. Okay, well, and this is what I mean by cautiously proceed. What I did first was I made a full backup copy of my catalog. So that's one of the things that you really need to be aware of as you're contemplating this move. Um, you might want to try out like a brand new catalog first, do a trial import of some photos. And it takes a bunch of time. So I can understand if you don't really want to do that, but that's how I approached it. I, I created a brand new catalog and I imported some photos. I did a bunch of testing and I was saying, okay, it seems to actually work now. It didn't before the dot one release for me, it really struggled. I had all kinds of problems on Mac and on windows. And this time I, as I created a new catalog and I did some testing and trial runs, it actually worked and was okay with the hardware that I have on both Windows and, and on my Mac. So that made me say, okay, I'm ready now to try it. And because this new version changes the database, the underlying database structure that Lightroom uses, that's if once you convert your catalog, you can't go back unless you have backups. And that's what I wanted to make sure I had was a copy that I moved off somewhere else or copied off somewhere else so that if importing my full catalog and then I tried to use it and it didn't work, which could be the case. You, it might work great with an empty catalog with very few photos in it. But then as you bring in your big catalog where you've got lots of photos, it can have problems, especially this Lightroom uh, Classic CC really seems to have had that kind of issue. So, um, so I copied it off and then I tried it out and it actually seemed to work. We're still good there. So what I did is I, I did some testing. I processed about a thousand images, little well, well over a thousand actually images. A couple of shoots I did of high school basketball games, and um, I did import testing. I did some scrolling testing, like going to the develop module, and I scrolled from photo to photo. Um, and the rule was as I'm doing that, I have to wait until the metadata shows up in the upper left-hand corner, plus the histogram updates. And, and then I can move to the next one. So I'm trying to go, I went through all of those photos one at a time. It takes forever. This kind of testing is really time consuming, but I knew I needed to do this podcast. I needed to update everyone. So I had to get through it and make sure that it passes my testing and, uh, and I could update my recommendation accordingly. And it works. Uh, in fact, Compared to 2015.14, I did the testing in both of them, which adds to the time-consuming nature. Um, 20, the Lightroom Classic CC 7.1 is about 25% faster on the import process and on the photo-to-photo -photo transition moving process in develop module. So that's a very welcome thing. That's what Adobe said they were focusing on in Classic, was trying to improve the performance of those two things. The rest of the tools all seem about the same, so that's good. It's not worse, at least, um, in the testing I've done so far. I hope I don't run into it as I continue to use it. Uh, I wouldn't say I've exhaustively done everything I use in Lightroom, but it, I've seen enough of it now and done enough of testing and, and doing some pretty good edits that um, I feel comfortable in saying, it's good for everyone to give it a try now. Make sure you're 7.1. I don't think 7.0 is something you even want to give a try with. But if you uh, back up your catalog first and then do it, um, upgrade your catalog and, and use it, I, you're, you're likely, you're very likely to have it go well. Victoria Bampton, Lightroom Queen, she gave it the go ahead uh, in late December with that patch too. So, um, so we have lots of people saying, for the most part, it's working. We, I have heard from a listener or two who still does not work for. 
And if that's your case, I still have seen um, out in the forums for Adobe them saying we're, they're narrowing in on some kind of more edge cases with specific hardware and software versions problems that they're having. There still there continues to be people for whom it crashes four to five times an hour and just doesn't work. Even the 7.1 release, not been my experience on the two computers I tried, Windows and Mac. Um, it's been just great there, but there may be a problem with it, which is why you want to cautiously proceed make a backup first and then uh try it out and if it's not working just roll back just don't even like if it's if it crashes two three four times in an hour that you're using it don't mess around with it you might want to like you know let adobe know through the forums and get them some information so they can help work on it but if you don't have time for that then don't don't worry about it just roll back just go back to the old version and at least that's a, another positive thing that adobe's changed is that the creative cloud app allows you to do that very well. I have uh, Lightroom Classic, Lightroom 2015, 14, and Lightroom CC all installed at the same time, and they're working well. Um, so, so there you go. Now, if you don't know how to back up your catalog yourself, it does it when you optimize or when you hopefully you have it set. We've talked before on Photo Taco about setting up to ask you when you're exiting photo or Lightroom to if you want to back up. That helps. You can do that because you can restore from the zip file that it produces. But it's even easier for me. I just went into Lightroom itself and I... Um, I, well, I know where my catalog is, but if you don't know where your catalog is stored on your computer, then what you can do is in Windows, you go to Edit, Catalog Settings, and General Tab. On Mac, you go to Lightroom, Catalog Settings, General Tab. And right there in the General Tab, it shows you where your where the location is, where your, your catalog is stored. And there's even a, a nice little Show button right there that'll, if you click that button, it'll open up either Windows Explorer and show you right where it is, or uh, Finder and show you right where it is. And then I just copied that file off. In fact, I copied everything named like that file off onto a different location, just put somewhere else and uh, so that I could go back to it if I needed to. And I, fortunately, this time I did not have to. Last time with the 7.0 update, I did. So it's a good thing to do when you have a kind of significant release like it was from Lightroom CC 2015 to Lightroom Classic CC. Because they upgraded the database, you can't downgrade and use your catalog if you already upgraded your catalog. So something to be aware of and something to be careful of. All right, in the second half of this episode today, I'm going to talk about a session I'll be teaching at the upcoming Create Photography Retreat. But first, we need to thank the sponsors of the show. Okay, so let's talk briefly about composite portraits. And briefly, probably is going to turn out to be longer than even the first half of the po the podcast here. It's a topic I've really developed a passion for, so we'll we'll see how it goes. I decided to go over this just a little here because a number of listeners have seen the game day photos and some other photos of my son that I've been sharing on social media over the past couple of months, and they wanted to know how it was I was creating them. And so this isn't a full how I got the shot episode. We, we do a whole episode dedicated to those, but I did want to share the technique a little bit and also kind of get people excited about the retreat and the session I'll be doing where I'm going to demonstrate this. So if you're not following me on social media, um, you can find my, the information about my social media accounts in the show notes. But just to say it here, I'm at Harmon Jeff. So that's H-A-R-M-O-N-J-E-F-F, -F, just all mushed together. I'm on Instagram. I'm at Harmon Jeff. On Facebook, I am Harmon.Jeff 
which they the Harmon Jeff was taken. So I had to use Harmon.jeff. It's so frustrating. I don't have a consistency between my social media accounts. Um, so you can go to facebook.com slash Harmon.jeff and see my accounts there. I'm also Harmon underscore Jeff. They don't let dots be on Twitter. On Twitter because I don't post, well, I don't post a lot of photos there. Um, but I do have a lot of reactions to like news stories about photography and some nerdy computer stuff. So if you want to follow me there, you'll, you'll see more uh, commentary on news stories than you will photos. But with the other two accounts on Facebook and on Instagram, sharing a lot of, of uh, social media on pictures. All right. Composite portraits. It's a subject I'm going to do a learning session on at the Create Photography Retreat coming up here in March 2018. If you didn't hear Jim interview Brian and Rachel Hansen on the Improved Photography Podcast, episode 259, that was in early January 2018, then you really need to have a listen and hear what this retreat is all about. I'll put a link to the episode in the show notes, or you can search Google again, Improve Space Photography Space 259, 259. It'll come right up. I'm so excited for this retreat in South Carolina. I'm excited to meet many of you there and to present several learning sessions. At the retreat, I'm going to spend a full 50 minutes demonstrating how to do a composite portrait. But I wanted to walk through it briefly here on Photo Taco, take, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 minutes and talk about kind of what it is that I'm doing, what the workflow is that I've developed. Um, something I've been working on for a couple years now. So the basic concept is that because I don't have a nice big professional studio with strobes and wonderful backgrounds available to me, I shoot in a very specific way that makes it pretty easy, as easy as I've found it to make it, to extract models from a photo and create my own backgrounds. Kind of use layer masks so that you separate, you get just the, the model and then you can put whatever background you want with that model. And then kind of make it look like it was shot in a really expensive studio setup or in the case of the game day photos I've been doing for the high school. It's just a really unique way to present them. And I've been working on the technique for a couple of years, like I said, but I've developed this workflow that's it's pretty easy now at this point to take some experience, some time to, to get it set up and figure out what to do, but I'm going to walk through it. So I did a previous photo taco episode on inexpensive lighting gear that I've personally found to work really, really well on my hobbyist budget. Um, and so I'm not going to go into the, the models and everything, what, what specific gear I'm using for that. You can do a Google search for photo space, taco space flash and find that. And I'll put a link to it in the show notes, but uh, I'm not going to go through those details. The process begins by shooting the model in front of a fully blown out white background. And I've tried some other backgrounds. You might think, well, okay, you want to extract a model from a background in video. You do that with green screens. So why didn't, don't you want to use a green background? Wouldn't that make it even easier? And I've tried it and I don't know, maybe it works well in video. Maybe in video they have more consistent, better lighting than how I'm setting it up. I've just found it to be problematic. It tends to have a color cast on the highlights when I use a green background, especially in the hair. If you have hair that is kind of poking out and or, or there's hair where there's space in between the hair, like there are a lot of female models, 
then um, then I see green bits in the highlights and it makes it really hard to use and put them on an, another background. It makes it really obvious. And if, so I found white much, much better that way, especially because you can emulate kind of some lighting in that background in that area so that it blends in really seamlessly, but you can't add a green, like if you have green in the highlights, you can't have a green background in there. So anyway, for me personally, I've tried lots of different backgrounds and different things there to, to make this as easy a process as I can. And white is the one that works the very best. It makes it the easiest and uh, quickest to go and extract the model from the background so you can put whatever background you want in place of it. All right, so how do I get a fully blown out background? Well, the first thing I do is I use an impact branded backdrop stand. Again, you can find some of the specifics of the equipment I'm using in that other photo taco episode. And I hang a 10 foot by 12 foot white cotton fabric called a muslin from it. And it's I keep it in a, a stow bag like I it's it's a little bag that barely fits in and I just it's all crunched in there. It's not folded up or anything. And so when you take it out, of course, it's wrinkly like crazy, but that's OK because we're just trying to blow it out. We're not trying to get the background to even show up. We're just it just needs to reflect light. That's all it needs to do. And so um, I hang it so that the 12 foot is going like from the top of the backdrop stand all the way to the ground and then past like hitting the ground towards me and the camera. And that 12 foot thing is so that I can have the model stand on it. So they're standing on the muslin and then the muslin goes up onto the background behind them. And, uh, and I need to have their head below the top of that muslin. I hope that's making sense. It's a little hard to do in audio. <laughs> all right, so then um, I, I do that and then I, I get my camera and I take a test shot where I've set up my camera. I start out at um, a shutter speed of 250 and that's specifically to my Canon 70 Mark II. That's the fastest shutter speed I can go. It's the max sync speed for flashes so that the flash will work and be consistent across the whole frame. You don't have any issues there. That's the fastest I can go. So I set my shutter speed to 250. You'd have to figure out with your camera what your max sync speed is. Then an ISO 100. There's no reason to go any higher. You're fully controlling the light. You should be able to have enough. Um, unless you're worried about having to take multiples, like I did the whole high school basketball team individual shots, and I was worried my flashes would run out of battery. So I did increase my ISO there just so that I could have the flashes be on lower power settings. Anyway, um, all right. So again, sinks, shutter speed 250, ISO 100. And then I start with an aperture of eight. And it's just a, a nice aperture to use. It's, it's usually a pretty good um, sharp aperture on most lenses to be able to use. And uh, so I start there. And what I'm going for is a completely black frame when I shoot with just the ambient light. So no flashes yet. I'm just shooting with the ambient light. And I want a fully black frame because I want only the light that I add to the scene to show up. And so I take it and if it's not dark enough, if I can still see some of the area, then I increase my aperture, or sorry, I stop down my aperture. I'd use a bigger number, 11, 16. I go to a, a bigger numbered aperture until I get a fully black scene. All right, then I turn on some flashes. I have two in the front and two, like two near the background, very near the background, and two just in front of the model near the camera. So let's talk about the ones in the in the background first. So those are on the floor and I just 
point them. They're they're really close, um, just off of the muslin, pointed kind of about 45 degrees towards the center of the, the background. And usually put them, I start at like a power of 1 16th. I hope that that's enough to blow out the background. And so I do that, take a test shot, see if I've blown out the background. If it's not blown out, and if I don't see that, so I have the blinkies function turned on on my camera so that whatever is completely blown out will blink. And I want to see that whole muslin blinking, the whole thing. And if it's not, then I have to increase the flash power until it is. All right, so then once that's there, that's set up, it's gonna be fully blown out. I get the model as far away from that background as I can get them. Um, so that the background won't light them too much. And that that's good. I mean, if you're looking for that look, or if you know the background you're gonna to wanna to use, you want edge lighting, then you can have them be nearer that background and it'll it'll bounce off of them and produce some good good uh, edge lights on the on the model but uh, usually I'm not I don't want that usually I'm trying to get rid of that so to diminish that as much as possible I get him to stand as far towards the camera as I can away from that background but I got I want him to still be on the muslin and I got to watch their head to make sure that their head does not get above the background of the muslin so it's a kind of a challenge to figure out where to put them then once I have the model standing where I want them, then I get my two other flashes and I put them in silver umbrellas and I point them, I get them, I, I get them higher than the model's head, point them down almost at a 45 degree angle um, at the, the model's stomach or so, their, their chest area, the, the middle of their body. And, um, and then I take, I put them on usually about a 132 power and you know, go from there, figure out that's too much or too little and trying to, to make it so that I, I light the model how I want. And at that point, I'm not worried so much about the background because it should be totally blown out in every shot. I'm just looking at the model themselves and how is the lighting on the model? How are they looking evenly lit or whatever it might be? So that's the, that's the setup right there. Once, there, once I have that, that's, uh, that's all I need and I'm ready to go do post-processing. So let's walk briefly through the post-processing. I get the images into Lightroom. So I can play around with the usual sliders, the highlights, the shadows, the whites, the blacks, contrast, clarity, sharpening, HSL, all of the stuff that's in Lightroom. But I'm very careful as I'm using these adjustments to watch and make sure that muslin background is still fully blown out. Because if you reduce the highlights a lot, that, that background becomes not blown out at some point. Usually if you're shooting raw, you can recover enough that it's not blown out all the way. So I'm watching that as I'm making all these adjustments. And then you have to make a decision because this is where if the model is wearing anything white, it can be a real challenge. If you lit that white so that it's really not that distinguishable between the, the blown out white background and the white of the model, then it gets really tough to extract. So if they were wearing a totally white outfit, like a white dress. This wouldn't work so well, and you'd probably want to do something else. Um, in the high school basketball team, almost every single one of them had white athletic basketball shoes on, of course. That's what the common color is, and that was a challenge. I had to do a lot more hand masking of the shoes um, because my eyes could see the difference, but Photoshop, all the tools that I'm trying to use to kind of auto-generate the masks, we're really struggling. So that's something to keep in mind. If the model's wearing white, you got to be real careful with that and see it, as much as you can do in camera to make the white on the model be darker <laughs> than the white in the background, then the better it's going to be to try to extract it. But it gets really hard around their feet, especially because the light falls off there. It's not as good as bright. And if you try to make the white 
muslin that they're standing on blown out, you're also going to blow out their white shoes. And so you have to do hand masking there. Okay. Once I'm happy with the image in Lightroom, I take it over to Photoshop and I use luminosity masking to create the initial layer mask for the model. Now, luminosity masking is a tough subject. We've had lots of discussions about this. And so I'm not going to go into a lot of detail there, but what I'm using is the TK Actions panel. It makes it dumb simple to, to do this. It, it makes it really, really fast. And I'm just using the highest luminosity level there. It's a five. And uh, it selects all the white background, all the blown out areas that are there, it selects. And then I invert the selection because I don't want to select the background. I want to select the model. And then I create a mask, a layer mask. And boom, the model is extracted. The challenge is the even a luminosity mask of five, it's, it's luminosity masks are all designed to be kind of slow transitions, which is good. That helps get a very believable selection or a selection where you're not going to see the edges very well. And that's what we want. We don't want obvious edges to happen because in photos, they usually don't have super obvious edges. And so it's, it's really hard. You, you get that, but then you have uh, where the flash was on the skin tone, the skin, or where, where there was white clothing. On the athletes that I was shooting, the, the name of the school was in white lettering. And of course, that got selected or deselected when I inverted it and wouldn't be included in the model. So you, you'd have parts of the model that are transparent or even gone in that selection as it was. So to fix that, what I do is I, uh, I hold down Alt or Command on the Mac and you click on the, the layer mask and now you see the layer mask. And then I go get a, the brush tool and I use a, a white brush initially and I put the brush into overlay mode and I paint over the white areas and that usually that'll that'll bring out all of the stuff that was kind of semi-transparent or not fully um, there in the masking and and it will make it white and it and bring the model back so that they're completely they're they're no longer transparent or opaque or, or semi-transparent it's fully there and any of the parts that were white I just paint white on a normal non overlay mode brush and bring it back in. Same with black, I'll use overlay mode and the black brush and I'll paint the black areas of the photo just to make it there. Now the downside of doing that is you now get some really distinct jagged edges in your selection. And so to fix that, I kind of bring back that look of having um, a, a nice small fall off by using the select and mask tool. So once I'm done getting the selection so that I have a good, the model is all white on the layer mask and the background's all black on the layer mask, then I will hit the quick selection tool just to be able to get to the select and mask tool. And then there's a select and mask button that appears and you hit that and it goes into a little workspace they've had since Photoshop 2017. And uh, in that workspace, I use a uh, a radius. Well, first off, I clean up the image a little bit. It's always, no matter how clean the mask looks to me, when I go into selected mask, there's always little bits of white and black where it shouldn't be. And I kind of clean it up a bit more, just kind of go through and clean up the edges even more where I want it. And then I use a radius of one PX and I do check the smart radius button. Then I do in the global refinements part, I do a smooth of 10 usually. Sometimes the smooth being 10 is a little too much. I have to back it off, but I don't ever go really above 10 almost ever. Then feather, I, it's really, really small in the feather. So 0.7 is about the max on most of my photos. Um, you may have situations where you need to go further, but the, what feather is gonna do is bring back that 
um, the fall off on the edges so that they're not really sharp, sharp edges. And that makes the photo much more believable. Kind of let the background semi show through and it just, it looks like the model is, is there part of the background. And that's what we're after with the composite. Then a contrast is really different on every photo for me. Sometimes it looks really good to have a, a pretty good contrast. Sometimes adding any contrast at all really screws things up. So I kind of have to do that to, to view and just see what's happening with the model and how the edges are going. And then almost always I want to shift the edge to negative. I want to get rid of that ring lighting, the rim lighting um, usually so that the, the background looks more believable unless that's part of the photo, unless kind of a big bright light in the background is, is part of what you want there. Then, um, then you might not want to, but I usually shift the edge minus 20 to even minus 30, something like that. Um, and, and do that. There's a decontaminate colors checkbox. I play around with that. Um, sometimes it helps with the hair to make it look more believable and get rid of some of the bright light that's around individual hair elements, like where there's air in between the hair and, and the bright white light shown through. Um, but it most of the time makes it look muddy and weird. And I don't like the effect on almost always. So it's, I'd say probably 90% of the time I'm not clicking decontaminate, but I do click it just to see what it looks like and see if it happens to help on this photo. Then I output to new layer with layer mask and I hit okay and I get a brand new layer in Photoshop with a new layer mask that doesn't is no longer really jagged and it's usually a very nice clean easy to use extraction of the model. And I can put whatever background I want in there. I can add artificial lighting. I can play around with it. I can add cool elements of text and, and have the model like be in front of text. And it's a really cool effect to be able to do that. And you can see that in my, in the social images photos that are out there. All right. So I know that was really quick. I only spent uh, like a quarter or maybe half the time of what I'm going to do in the, at the retreat and demonstrating this. But um, it's a really fun technique, and it's something that I hope you can do. It's, it's something to try. If you haven't done anything like that, then, um, you know, don't get down on yourself. If it doesn't work out very well the first couple of times you try it, you, you learn from it, and it really helps you. So go check that out and, uh, and, and see if you can make something work like that. I'd love to see if you do try it. If you try a composite portrait, um, share it on our Facebook group, which to speak of is the improve photography podcast, Facebook group. You just go into Facebook and you search for improve photography podcast and you'll be able to be there. We do have to ask people to answer questions to be part of the group. So we keep the bots and the spammers and the advertisers out of there. We don't want them in there. We only want legitimate listeners of the podcast to be in that group. And so we do ask you to answer a question. You have to put, tell us the name of a host on the Improved Photography Network. It could be any of us. I'd love to have you say me, Jeff Harmon, oh, but you can mix us up and put like Jim Harmon or Jeff Harmer <laughs> because our names are so similar. It's hard to keep us straight. I know, poor Jim. He gets mixed up with me all the time. It's great for me, but bad for him. And then you can also follow the show at Photo Taco Podcast on Instagram or send an email. If you have a question, you, a topic you'd like to have me cover, you can send an email to phototacopodcast at gmail.com. No question, too basic or too complicated for the show. If I don't know the answer to the question, and I frequently do not, I'll either research it until I become uh, somewhat of an expert, or I will bring on a guest who is an expert, and we'll, we talk through the topic. So do that. Make sure you head over to the Mothership, too. The, the 
uh, site that makes all of this possible. The way that we can have these podcasts coming out is by going over to improvephotography.com and where there's constantly updates, news, gear, photo tip articles of all kinds. It is really, really the best way to improve your photography. Views expressed on this program by independent host guests and callers do not necessarily reflect their views of Improved Photography LLC or its advertisers. Some links mentioned on this program are affiliate links where a commission is earned. Olay!